In our recent sermons on Hebrews 10 and 11 and 12, those three chapters, we've been thinking deeply along with the Apostle about the relationship between faith and maturity and holiness, how these things fit together, how they work, the reality that the faith that we are called into is not just some bare intellectual assent, but um, a faith um, that endures, a faith that grapples with the discipline and the love of God over time, a faith that presses forward on the way of holiness. And with that context in mind of those three chapters in Hebrews we've been looking at, I thought it'd be helpful to take a week to examine the Gospels and consider from a different angle the same topics in the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, which is one of the most profound stories of faith in all of the Gospel narratives. Listen carefully now this morning to God's holy and inerrant word from Mark 7. Um, which is printed for you on the back of your order of worship. Mark 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there he, that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Thus far the reading of God's word. It is absolutely true. And it is given to you, friend, because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. So grant us now to hear this text and to read, mark, learn, and even inwardly digest it, that we might evermore hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All through the scriptures, we see that the life of faith is a life of striving with the living God. We see this from Genesis to Revelation. It is a life, as Hebrews puts it, of being assured of the things that are hoped for, of being convinced of things that are not seen. But what you may not realize initially when you sign up for the life of faith is that many times God himself will be the thing that is not seen that God himself indeed will hide his presence from you. God himself will test your faith by placing obstacles in its way. God himself will call you on to an uncomfortable place to strive with him, to wrestle with him. God himself will stand behind the door and call you to knock and knock 
and knock and wait for it to open. One of the most powerful examples of this dynamic in the Old Testament, um, this striving with God nature of the life of faith is the story of Jacob. You see, before he was born, Jacob was marked by God in the womb. He was prophesied to be the one through whom the covenant promise would be given. Um, The promise that had been given to his grandfather, that it was through Jacob that that promise would continue. And that seems like a wonderful thing until you think about the experience of Jacob's life. You see, Jacob's father, Isaac, neglected him. He neglected to bless him, uh, reserving that blessing, at least in his own intention, and instead for the older brother whom he preferred against God's expressed will. And Jacob strove with his father to take that blessing with his own hands. Jacob then strove with his brother Esau, who sought to kill him for what he had done forcing Jacob to flee from his home and everyone he had ever known so that he would not end up like Abel, dead in a field. Jacob then strove for decades with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, who in an ironic twist deceived Jacob into marrying the wrong sister and then sought to to steal Jacob's wages for his many years of labor, 14 years under this man this unjust man, Laban. Jacob then strove with his wives, with Leah and Rachel, as they sought to gain the upper hand through childbirth and desire and affection. And finally, at the ford of Jabbok, as we heard in our reading this morning, Jacob strove with God himself, likely a a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus wrestling with him through the night and into the morning, refusing to let God go until he gave him what he desired, his blessing. Jacob received several things that night at the hands of the living God. He received a divine blessing. He received a permanent lip, limp. rather. He received um, a handicap, a disability he would carry for the rest of his days. And, and most importantly, he received also a new name, a name which would become the name of the people of God, the name Israel, which means, as the Lord said, you have striven with God and with man, and you have prevailed. And Jacob received something else that night as well. He received the knowledge, the revelation that all his life, the one he had actually been striving with, grappling with, wrestling with, was God. All his life, it had not really been Isaac or Esau or Laban or Leah or Rachel with whom he had wrestled. At every point, it had actually been God himself with whom he had been striving. God himself acting in each one of those circumstances. God himself wrestling Jacob and teaching him submission and obedience and calling him into greater and greater faith and maturity and holiness. Because, friends, the life of faith is a life where we are called to strive and to contend not with men, not in a fundamental way, but with the living God himself. 
And this aspect of the life of faith is revealed in our passage in Mark this morning. Our passage begins with Jesus traveling to a new place, the the region of Tyre and Sidon. It seems as though the primary reason that Jesus goes to this Gentile region is to find rest for himself and his apostles. Um, Jesus has been seeking a place to rest um, for since the middle of chapter 6. Um, but when he went to a desolate place, um, he was followed by crowds. And, and so he goes into Gentile territory trying to find rest for himself. But we are told that once he arrives in Tyre and Sidon, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. And yet he could not be hidden. He could not be hidden. Here, Mark wonderfully evokes Jesus' own parable about the lamp that is brought into the house and cannot be hidden. He is the lamp, of course, and in this case he is found. He draws like a lodestone, a woman in desperate need. This woman is a Gentile, she's a a Syrophoenician, and her daughter is in the thrall of a demon. She's being abused by a demon. She has come to the end of her resources and is clearly helpless to do anything about this terrible problem. But then she hears that a Jewish man has come to her region, a man named Jesus, a man whom she has heard has the power and authority to cast out demons. And so she goes and finds him even when he desires to be alone and falls at his feet and begs him to help her daughter. It's worth pausing for a moment to just reflect on the faith that this woman is displaying just by coming to find Jesus, right? Just barging uninvited into the house where he was trying to hide away and be alone and then falling at his feet and begging for his help, his intervention. This is an audacious thing to do, right? She's shameless in her appeal before the Lord for his help. This is desperate. But how does Jesus respond to this woman's initial act of faith, which she clearly has in some sense in him? He looks down at this woman. He hears her pleading, her words, her presence, and he says in response, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What's Jesus doing here? Two things, really. At first, he's giving this woman and us a theology lesson in the form of a parable. In this parable, the children, who are the Israelites, must be fed first. And it is not right to take what is for the children and then give it to the dogs who are the Gentiles. Jesus evokes the image of an ancient household here, right? Children seated around a table, the family dogs at their feet. And he says, it is not right, it is not fitting, it is not appropriate to take the food for the children that's on the table and to give that food, that nourishment to the dogs instead. That is not right. Here Jesus is saying the same kind of thing that Paul will later echo in his own theological writings when he writes in the epistle of the Romans that the gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Greek. And of course, Jesus has been embodying this reality in his own life. His ministry is almost entirely devoted to the people of Israel. 
because it is Israel, God's own beloved people, that he must serve. It is God's beloved people who must finally reject and crucify Jesus in response to that loving service. And only after his death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost does the good news of Jesus go fully to the Gentiles and to the nations. But of course, Jesus is not only giving a theology lesson in some abstract way in this parable. He's actually interacting with the person who's right before him. This woman, as it turns out, is a Gentile. And so by telling her this terse parable about how he was sent to minister first to the house of Israel and not to the nations, he's in effect giving her a stiff arm. He's putting up his hands and saying, I'm not going to help you. She comes to him begging for help, and he pushes her away. But why does he do this? Does Jesus push away this woman who was made in God's image because he wants her to leave and get up and go? Or does he push her away because he wants her to strengthen her faith, to double down and to stay? To stay and to keep on begging, keep on contending with him, keep on striving and wrestling with him. The answer, I think, is found in the parable about prayer that we heard in our gospel reading this morning. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He told the story about a friend who would go to his neighbor's house And knock on the door because he had visitors suddenly in the middle of the night and asked for three loaves. And Jesus says, you know what? That man will not get up and help you because he cares about you. But he will get up and help you if you just don't stop knocking. If you just keep it up. That's how Jesus tells his disciples that they must strive with and contend with their heavenly father in prayer. They must not give up. They must keep on knocking. They must be like Jacob at the ford of Jabbok, who was unwilling to let go of God until God gave him a blessing. And friends, that's exactly what this woman is doing here. She is like Jacob at the ford of Jabbok. This Gentile, this Syrophoenician woman, she listens to Jesus's parable about how the children must be fed first and how it is not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she knows it's about her And she says this in response, yes, Lord. I love how she starts. Yes, Lord. Point taken. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's an amazing statement, friends. It's amazing, first, because it's one of the only times in all the Gospels that somebody hears one of Jesus' parables and figures it out. Right? So many of Jesus' parables he has to explain to his disciples, even the really simple ones. They ask him to explain it to them. But this woman, she gets it. She understands what the parable means and how it works. And she not only understands, she enters into the language of the parable itself to wrestle with Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, I understand. You're right, the children must be fed first before the dogs. I submit to that, I understand it, but hang on a second. 
When the children are at dinner and they're eating at the table, you know what happens? They're clumsy, those children, and, and crumbs fall from their fingers and their mouths onto the floor. And then you know who gets to eat those crumbs? The dogs. That's why they're at the table too. So in a sense, the dogs actually eat with the children, even if all they get is the crumbs that fall from above. And what she's saying is that, Jesus, that's all I need. All I need is a crumb. I don't need an entree. I just need a crumb of your presence, a crumb of your love and your power. I don't need the whole plate. I just need a crumb. And even the dogs get the crumbs that fall when the children eat. You see, Jesus pushes this woman away in her need, but what does she do? She keeps on coming. She's relentless. She keeps on asking. She keeps on knocking. She keeps on striving and wrestling. John Calvin, in a wonderful quote that's printed on the back of your order of worship, he says this about this story, about this woman, this amazing woman. He says, she believes in that moment when Jesus said the thing about the children and the dog. She believes that Jesus has closed the door on her request not to drive her away altogether, but rather to make her try in faith to get through the cracks in the wood. I love that metaphor that Calvin uses. Jesus closes the door on this woman when she comes to him in her need, but she rightly discerns that he has closed the door not to drive her away altogether, but rather to make her try in faith to get through the very cracks in the wood of the door. And that's what this woman is doing in this moment. The door is shut, and it's shut by Jesus, but she keeps on pushing. She keeps on looking for a little hole, a cranny, a nook where she can get through anyway. And she does. She does. She gets through, friends. In her faith, she strives with God like Jacob, refusing to let go until he blesses her. And Jesus says this to her in response. He says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. This woman got what she wanted, friends. She strove with God, and like Israel, she prevailed. And it is because of the quality of her faith. That's what faith is in this situation, and really in all of our life. In Matthew's account of this story, Jesus said, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Not just great is your persistence or your stubbornness or your refusal to give up, but great is your faith. Jesus is saying this is what faith is. It is striving and wrestling with God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that in her own strength, this woman took on the living God incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and overwhelmed him simply with her brute force of her personality or her will. No, she won because Jesus let her win, right? 
because Jesus wanted her to win, because Jesus caused her to win, just as God caused Jacob to win at that night at Jabbok. But still she won, friends. She won just as Jacob had won, just as Abraham and Sarah won, just as every single person must win through by striving with God in faith and refusing to let go until he gives his blessing. And in this story, the Syrophoenician woman is, of course, fulfilling Jesus' own teaching on prayer, where he tells his disciples that they must be like a rude neighbor, as we heard in our gospel reading. Or later, as he says in Luke 18, they must be like a demanding widow with God who won't give up in their persistence and their fortitude in response to unanswered prayer. This is how Jesus talks about prayer. It's fascinating. And she demonstrates something about the nature of the only kind of faith that God will reward. Because, friends, the only kind of faith that God stirs up by His Spirit, the only kind of faith that God is pleased by, is a, is a faith that is convinced of things not seen. A faith that believes, despite its present circumstances, that God exists and that God rewards those who seek Him. It is a, it is a kind of pleading that persists, a kind of trust that does not shrink back, but by lives by faith in the One who is unseen. It is a kind of faith that is wrought by trials, brought by God on purpose into the life of a believer, a faith that in the words of Jesus is tested or, and in its testing produces steadfastness. That's how James talks about faith. And that the one who has this kind of faith will be made mature, lacking in nothing, receiving finally the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And by the way, it's the kind of faith that Jesus himself, by the strength of the Spirit, displayed as he wrestled with his Father on the night before the cross and remained steadfast and received the crown of life in his resurrection. As we close this morning, friends, I just want to make one simple application. That's this. Beloved, I know that your lives are full of striving. Some of you may be striving with your spouse. Some of you may be striving with your children or with your father or your mother. You might be striving with a sibling or with a friend or with your financial situation or with someone who is an authority over you. You might be striving with your own self, with your own health, with your own heart, with your emotions, with your future, with your anxiety and your fear. But friend, do you know that in each of those situations, the one with whom you are really striving is God? It is actually God. It is not your spouse, not really, that you are striving with. It is God. It is not your children or your parents or your employer or your bank account or even your own self. In every case, it is God with whom you are wrestling. It is God who is testing you. God who is daring you to cling to Him in faith and refuse to let Him go until He blesses you. It is God who is speaking to you in the parable of your life. 
and inviting you, calling you, demanding even that you go with him into deeper waters, the deeper waters that he is calling you into. It is God who is refusing to answer the door when you knock, not because he wants you to go away, but because he wants you to keep knocking and to learn how to do it. Because he, what he really wants is for your faith above all things to grow into maturity and holiness. And the only way for that to happen is not for you to knock once and the door just to open, but for you to learn what it means to press yourself hard against the door and to seek even by faith to get through the cracks of the wood if that's what it takes to draw near to God. Friends, many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you know that often the life of faith is no more and no less than simply refusing to give up. It's just holding on. Many of you already know that the life of faith is not always profound or eloquent. Sometimes it is just not going away. Not leaving, as Peter says, the one who has the words of life. For where else is there to go after all? You know this because it is being worked out in the circumstances of your life. As you knock and knock and knock and wait and wait and wait. And friends, I give you this promise. The promise that Jesus makes. Ask, friends. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. The door will open. It will. I don't know how or when. But I know that if we keep knocking, the door will open. Because Jesus says it will. And it will because our God does exist. And he does, in fact, reward all those who seek him. Beloved, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is the kind of faith and repentance and holiness and maturity that he calls us into. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and for your faithfulness and for the story of this woman. I pray that we would meditate upon her faith and imagine what it might mean to emulate her before you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.